You're listening to the Arsenal Church Podcast. To learn more about the Arsenal, go to thearsenal.church. And if you'd like to receive more content throughout your week, feel free to download the Arsenal Church app. We are continuing our series, Take Care of Yourself. This is our last um, week in this series. Uh, the last four weeks we've been talking about it. We've talked about how Jesus, uh, Rob talked about how Jesus took care of himself and how uh, we can see that in him and it's something that we should do for ourselves. Uh, week two, um, we talked about how theology, some of us have gotten theology or been taught things where our theology said that self-care is selfish and um, how do we actually like look at that and see that that is not true. And then last week we talked about what happens when we don't care for ourselves and how that affects our relationships and those around us. So I think in the last three weeks we should have fixed every issue you have and you should all be healthy and good. We good to go? Yep. Did Canelo win last night? I don't know her, but I, um, <laughs> Alex sent me a text and I was like, I don't know who she is, uh, but Canelo won. Why? This is, this is really weird. So like you go over here. Pretty good, like spread out a little bit, but we're pretty. You go over here, and all the Baptists uh, showed up. What is going on? You, you guys can come up here if you want. Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, you can sit where you want. I'm just kidding. You can sit where you want. It just feels, feels like you're in the dark, and Rob's even in the very, very back. He's like, I don't want to hear this. Um, no, I know this really isn't the typical sermon series. Um, and maybe you're, oh, thanks April. Yeah. <laughs> maybe you're, you're ready for a series like walking through an old Testament book or new Testament book. And that, that's coming. I promise we'll get to it. Uh, but this was a series that we just felt like it was something good for us in a way of, um, looking at what healing looks like for us, um, as individuals. We talk about transformation of the gospel and speak about like behavior change, I, I think of it more in a way, I think the, the main two things in this are actually healing, like personally, spiritually, and emotionally healing, like experiencing that, and then learning to love, learning to love yourself and learning to love others. Like this is what we're looking, this is what the gospel calls us to, to be healthy versions of ourselves and to learn to love. This is what we, we are, what we do as new um, new creations in Christ. We're looking for healthy living, learning to love others well, and you, you can't do this um, if, you're, if you're not treating yourself well. And so we wanted to look at that a little bit more. So I'm going to start with a verse where it talks about learning to receive love. In 1 John 4, verse 16, it says this, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we're like Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. The scripture starts with love and the idea that God loves us and that we are know that we know and we rely on the love that God has for us. And then that love that God has for us 
is something that shows that we are made complete. It says that we are made complete in that love. It's, it's something that I think takes a lifetime for us to realize, to understand the love of God, to receive the love of God, to, to live in that love. It's not something that happens like in a, in a snap, right? Like for many of us, we've grown up maybe in church or grown up in, in a spiritual space that's taught us that we are loved. And there's times where I still am not really sure that I'm loved. Like it takes a long time for me to understand this. But I think as we progress in our walk with Christ and our understanding in this journey, we understand that we are loved more and more and more. That, that's the hope, is that we understand this love. And I know I just jumped right into this. I usually tell jokes and all those things. But I looked at my notes this morning and I was like, I got to go. Like this one's going to be, there's a lot. So <laughs> just be ready. If you fall asleep, I get it. I just, I'm happy you feel safe. Um, but I think the journey of the Christian life is learning to receive and experience God's love. That's what we talk about that all the time here. Then this verse continues, and, or these verses continue, and they say that we are given confidence even on the day of judgment. That fear is driven out by perfect love. That the one that fears is not made perfect in love. And I think sometimes we can take that scripture and twist it. And be like, ah, oh, see, you haven't been made perfect. No, no, no. I think what, what John is saying here is, if you fear, if you're in fear of the day of judgment, if you fear what's happening to you, it's because you haven't really known the love that God has for you. It's not that the love is not there. It's that you haven't known it. That you aren't relying on it. That you haven't experienced it. Not that God's not trying to love you. Uh, there's a phrase or a statement that um, a mentor of mine, Bill Thrall, says that you can, I can only love you to the extent that you trust me. And I think there are times in our life where we don't trust God. And a lot of that is because we've been given a false representation of who God is. And we have a false representation of who God is. It's hard to trust God. And then we can't allow God to love us because I can't trust you. So in order to experience that love, we have to learn to trust God. That makes sense? So in this scripture, it talks about that fear is the instance in this instance, holds on to the expectation of crisis and judgment and interprets that as due punishment, that you are owed that punishment. Many times our, our theology, our teachings we've received growing up tells us we deserve this punishment, so we believe it, we live from a place of defeat, and we, we aren't experiencing God's love, so we live in some form of fear. Scripture says this fear only echoes in someone that doesn't yet realize the completeness of who they are in Christ and the union that we now have with God through the love that God has for us. To fear is to not understand that we've been made complete in Christ, that we are fully loved, fully accepted by God, the God that is love. So I believe there's two parts to this healing for us and learning to receive and experience that love and having the confidence and the completeness and the freedom that God God's love gives us. I think a lot of times the second part, the, the belief, the, the confidence in, in the, the day of judgment, the things like that, like all of this, the freedom that we experience from the love, a lot of times we refer to that part of this concept as grace. You guys heard that word? Please say yes if you've been at the arsenal for a little bit. 
I'm not talking about like cheap grace, which sometimes people call our grace cheap. Like this, this idea that the gospel, like that we teach of grace is cheap. It's not cheap. Like the one cheap grace is where we're told that we've received grace at the cross, but then we also must keep hold of that grace by doing things in order to keep God happy with us. And that forgiveness is by living as close to perfect as we can, right? Like it becomes an actions-based thing. Like, oh yeah, yeah, oh, you've been forgiven at the cross. Every, everything is great, but you must be perfect for the rest of your life in order to keep that. And that if you're not, then there's moments in life where you're like, I don't know if I'm okay or not. I have a fear of the day of judgment. Anybody grow up in a system where that was like kind of how it, it happened? I know for me, we've talked about this, it's almost Halloween. So we, we've talked about this before. My church did a thing called uh, Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. A lot of you guys have heard about this, but it's literally like they would say, this is our chance to scare the hell out of people. You know, but like you say hell in like a very Christian way, like we're trying to get them out of hell. Um, it was literally like you see, oh, this kid like got drunk at a party you know, he says he's a Christian, but he got drunk and he died on his way home. Now, is he going to heaven or not? We don't know. And you would literally see this play out and they'd be like, okay, so there'd be like some youth pastor at the end that's like, all right, kids, so you don't want to be like Johnny who died and didn't go to heaven, right? And you're all like, yeah, like, you know, it's like the scariest, like haunted house ever, <laughs> like way to go church. Uh, but but we grew up, I grew up in this idea that like, yeah, 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 there's grace, awesome, Jesus died on the cross, but you better be perfect. Because if you're not, you may or may not be okay at the end of your life. But this scripture says that I have confidence on the day of judgment because of the love that God has for me. That's, it's grace. Earning God's love and approval is not what grace looks like. It's literally the opposite of the definition of grace. So we have love, we receive love from God, we experience God's love, and then there's this idea of being confident in our forgiveness, confident on the day of judgment, experiencing grace and receiving that. You experience God's grace and kindness. It's a continuation. Like So we, we have this idea, Scripture says that we love because he first loved us, right? So we receive God's love. And then we love. It's a, it, we, lo we, are, we are loved. We extend love. It's a continuation. Now, we receive God's grace and kindness. Then we would give grace and kindness, right? Well, in this concept of what we're talking about, we receive God's love and we love ourselves, right? We, we take that love and we, we turn it on ourselves and we, we love ourselves. We take care of ourselves. It's self-love. And then there's the other concept of we ex God gives us grace, and this is a hard one. We give ourselves grace, right? I, I extend grace to others, but also, like, I sometimes need to give myself grace. Anybody ever have to do that? Both of them are hard. I think receiving love and loving myself is probably, it's hard, but it's not quite as hard as giving myself grace. Like, that one's really, really tough. So today I'm going to talk about this idea of giving yourself grace or a concept of self-kindness or self-compassion. Having compassion for oneself is really no different than having compassion for others. Think about what the experience of compassion feels like. Have you ever like shown compassion to someone? 
yes, you have, I'm sure. So what does that experience feel like? I think in order to show compassion, you have to, or in order to have it, first you have to have compassion for others. First you have to notice that they're suffering, right? There has to be an acknowledgement that someone is suffering in order for me to show compassion. Second, compassion involves feeling moved by other suffering so that your heart responds to their pain. The word compassion literally translated means to co-suffer. So you enter into suffering with someone. And then when this occurs, you feel this like warmth, this caring, this depth and desire to help the suffering person in some way. Like having compassion also means that you offer understanding and kindness to others when they fail or make mistakes rather than judging them harshly. When you feel compassion for another, Rather than mere pity, it means that you realize that suffering, failure, and imperfection are part of our shared human experience. This is showing compassion, experiencing compassion for others. So what what does self-compassion do? I think self-compassion invites us into this compassion that you're showing others. You take those same concepts and you apply them to yourself. It frees you to realize that you can also be kind and compassionate to yourself. As I was studying this topic and idea, there was a study done on the contrast of self-esteem and self-compassion that I thought was really interesting. That's kind of what I'm going to jump into for a second. Um, The idea of self-esteem and self-compassion. How do we care for ourselves? How How do we show ourselves grace and kindness? Most of us grew up learning about self-esteem, right? Like we grew up in, a, in an idea that you, you, want, you want to have a high self-esteem, right? Anybody in here taught like, no, low self-esteem is the way to go? No, right? High self-esteem. What's interesting as I was reading and studying this, this study that I found, talked about self-esteem. It says this. This is the definition. Self-esteem is a global evaluation of one's self-worth, a judgment. Am I a good person or a bad person? And for many years, psychologists saw self-esteem as the marker of psychological health. And there's reasons for that. If you have low self-esteem, if you hate yourself, you're going to be depressed, you might be anxious, you're going to have all sorts of psychological problems, right? If you have low self-esteem, there are a lot of negative effects to it. However, anybody know anyone with really high self-esteem that maybe also has negative effects also? In fact, in some of the study, psychologists said there's an epidemic of narcissism in our country right now. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Um, But it's this idea that that high self-esteem can also be problematic. The problem is not that you have it, but how you got it or how you get it. In the American culture, to have high self-esteem, you have to feel special and above average. To be average is an insult. Like, think about it. If I were to say, hey, you're an average worker, you're like, That's, I don't feel good about that. Or how if, what if I were like, hey, you're an average mom? Well, wait, what's wrong with that? You're, you're, Chad, that was an average talk today. You know, I, I would understand. But I would be like, yeah, yeah, probably. Um, 
But to be average is an insult. So what's the problem with that? The problem is all of us have to then be above average at the same time. Which is average. <laughs> which just raises the average, right? This is like you, you ever been in a class where there's a curve? You got that one person? Or you don't have that one person and everybody's average gets raised. You're like, yes, we're all collectively dumb. <laughs> but actually, we are above average because we're, we're all at the same. So self-esteem, the idea to have high self-esteem is to be special or to, have, to be above average. To be average is to be insulted. So what happens in our culture is we start to play this game. We puff ourselves up. We put others down. So we can feel better about ourselves in comparison. We see this sadly in the church when it comes to theology of law or that cheap grace I mentioned earlier that we compare and say, oh, I'm not quite as bad as that person. Makes us feel more spiritual. It confirms that I am an above average Christian. High self-esteem takes the idea that we must be special or above average. Another problem with self-esteem is that it's contingent on success. We only feel good about ourselves when we succeed or meet our expectations. So what happens when we fail? We don't meet our expectation. We feel lousy. We feel, ter we feel terrible about ourselves. How do we get off of this treadmill of setting these expectations that we must meet in order to be above average? How do we get off the treadmill this constant need to feel better about ourselves. And that's where self-compassion comes in. I like to think of it, this as like where grace shows up in our personal lives. Self-compassion is not a way of judging ourselves positively. Self-compassion is a way of relating to ourselves kindly. Embracing ourselves as we are, flaws and all. Self-compassion is not a way of judging ourselves positively. Self-compassion is a way of relating to ourselves kindly. I didn't share the font, apparently. Now I'm beating myself up. There's three ways I saw self-compassion defined, and I want to give those to you today in ways that we can show ourselves kindness. Self-compassion, where we can move from this place of judging ourselves on above average or special to how do we show ourselves grace. So the first one is self-kindness instead of harsh judgment. Treating ourselves with kindness. Think of it this way. The way that you would show compassion to a close friend, what does that look like? Treating ourselves with encouragement, with understanding, with empathy, with patience, with gentleness. If we stopped, I think, to check in on how we treat ourselves, especially on a bad day, how often are we harsh on ourselves? In fact, I think we're often harsher and more cruel to ourselves in the language that we use than we would be to definitely our close friends. Oftentimes, we're meaner to ourselves than we would be to people we don't even like. Right? Like, think about the way you treat yourself when you fail. What are the things you say? What are the things you tell yourself? It's things that we would never say to people that we care about. Definitely, at times, even things that we would, we would say to people that we don't like very much. We're often our own worst enemies. But in self-compassion, we reverse that 
pattern and start treating ourselves like we would treat our good friends. Begin to show yourself kindness instead of harsh judgment. That's number one. Number two, this one's common humanity. So we have self-kindness, treating yourself kind like you would a close friend, and then you get into common humanity, where self-esteem asks, how am I different than others? What sets me apart? What makes me special? What makes me above average? Self-compassion asks, how am I the same as others? One of the ways we're all the same, like what does it mean to be human, is to be human is to be mortal, to be imperfect. All of us are imperfect and our lives are imperfect. It's a shared human experience. And some of us are like, ah. But if you're like, ah, it's because for some reason in your mind, perfection is the goal. But if you're human in this room, perfection is a goal that I believe that we'll never attain. Not in our daily walk. So our shared human experience is that life is imperfect, that we don't always get it right, that we fail at times. When something goes wrong in our lives, oftentimes we say, something's wrong here. This is abnormal. This shouldn't be this way. I shouldn't be failing to reach my goals. Look at this person who I went to school with and did all the things that I did. Look how far they are, and I'm not. Anybody ever do that? It's that feeling of abnormality or separation from others. It's so psychologically damaging. We make it so much worse by feeling we're isolated in our imperfection and our suffering. That we're the, we, we could, I, I got to do better. Other people can't be experiencing this. When in fact, what connects us to other people is the fact that we are not all perfect and that there is suffering that happens and that we are human. Therefore, there are times where we do fail. Sadly, again, we see where religion goes down this road. In order to appear perfect, I must hide who I really am. I must put on a mask. I must be just fine. One of my favorite books, The Cure, talks about the room of good intentions, this expectation where when you walk in and... um, the hostess at the at the room of good uh, the room of um, good intentions says, "Oh, hey, how are you doing today?" And and you begin to rattle off your suffering and your problems, and the hostess says, "Oh, you're just fine," and hands you a mask. And you quickly look around the room and you see that everybody else has a mask on, and everybody else is just fine. Because religion invites us into a room where we're all just fine. Because to show you my imperfection shows you that I'm broken. And in that book. There's this moment where the guy leaves and he walks into the room of grace and he begins to explain his sufferings and his pain to the hostess again. And from the back of the room, someone says, is that all you got? I'll take that and I'll add back pain and bottle, like all the different things that he's got. And the hostess looks at him and says, what he means is you're welcome here. It's this moment of common humanity where you can walk in and say, I don't have it all together. And everybody else in the room goes, yeah, us either. Welcome. It's called life. In self-compassion, we acknowledge that we are all human. That we're not all out here trying to be above average. We're, we're we're, We're living life. 
And number three is mindfulness. Mindfulness means being with what is in the present moment. We need to be able to turn towards, acknowledge, and accept the fact that we're suffering in order to give ourselves compassion. Just like if you, when you meet someone who is suffering, you have to be aware of their suffering in order to offer compassion. A lot of times we aren't aware of our suffering, especially when it comes to our own self-criticism. We identify so much with, self, with our self-critic. The part of us that says, you're wrong. You should have done better. You don't even notice the incredible pain that you're causing yourself in these statements of self-criticism. So why do we do this? Why do we self-criticize? This is fascinating. A lot of research suggests we believe we need our self-criticism to motivate ourselves. It's reminding me of a story Rob told me one time. Like, I, I need fear in order to motivate me. As Rob was teaching grace and this understanding of God's love for you. Like, we, we believe that we need our self-criticism in order to motivate ourselves. That if we're too kind to ourselves, we'll become lazy or self-indulgent. Culture has taught us this, right? Self-esteem has taught us this. Does self-criticism work, though? The research actually shows the opposite of that. If you look at psychological research, it says that self-criticism undermines our self-motivation. When we criticize ourselves, it activates our threat defense system. It activates that fight or flight mechanism. It's that part of our brain that releases cortisol and adrenaline. It, it's there typically for when we're in physical danger, right? You guys have heard of this. Like something happens, you get physically, like you're threatened and fight or flight, and I think they've added freeze, right? But you have this, something in your body, like a reptilian part of our brain is like, I'm in trouble, I got to do something. I either got to fight or I got to get away. Everything kind of disconnects and you go. And what happens is cortisol and adrenaline enter your body in order to help you in this effort. Well, self-criticism actually activates this same system. It's not our person, though, that's being threatened. It's our self-concept, who we believe we are, that is being attacked. When we think a thought about ourselves that we don't like, some imperfection... We feel threatened. So we attack the problem, meaning we attack ourselves. This is, have you seen this? You, you get upset with yourself, you do something wrong, and then you begin to self-criticize, so you're attacking yourself. Here's the problem with this. It's a double hit because we're both the attacker and the attack, so our cortisol levels are, are elevated at great levels. So self-criticism releases all this cortisol. And if you're a, a constant self-critic, you have constantly high levels of stress. Eventually, to protect yourself, the body shuts itself down, becomes depressed in order to deal with all the stress. So if you're constantly self-criticizing, your cortisol levels are high, eventually your body says, we got to chill out. And you go into a, mo a, a moment of depression. In order to protect yourself, to deal with all the stress. And as I think we could all agree, 
depression isn't the best motivational mind state. Right? If I'm depressed, I'm not motivated. I'm actually oftentimes the opposite of that. Luckily, though, there's a better way to do this. There's another part of our makeup and being that responds in a more healthy way. This is where our bodies are programmed to respond to warmth, to gentle touch, to soft like vocalization, to our mother's voice. Think about a mother and an infant where, where we know through studies that if an infant is loved and held and spoken to, they grow up, even, even from an infant age, they grow up into be people who are healthier psychologically. So we have this part of us that is made to experience warmth and gentle touch and, and soft speak. So when we give ourselves compassion, the research shows that we actually reduce our cortisol levels and our body releases oxytocin and opiates, these feel-good hormones. We feel safe and comforted. We're in an optimal mindset to do our best. Let me give you an example. Son comes home. He's failed math. He walks in, he sees his dad, and he shows his dad the grade. The dad has two choices here on how he responds to the son. This is not a real-life scenario that has happened. Maybe. So he's got two ways to respond. The first is harsh criticism. Son comes in, shows the father the grade. The father says, I'm ashamed of you. What a loser. You'll never amount to anything. How can you not pass math? Kind of makes you cringe, right? But isn't that also the same type of language that we use for ourselves? Man, you're, are you an idiot? What are you doing, Chad? You knew better. You're, you're better than this. You're never going to get it right. We speak to ourselves the way that maybe a harsh critic would speak to their son. What if the father took a more compassionate approach? Son shows the father his grade, and the father says, Ouch, that stings. You're, you're probably hurting right now. Come here, give me a hug. I love you. I, s I still love you. It happens to everyone. I know you want to get your math grades up. I know you want to go to college. So what can I do to help you? What can I do to support you? How can I help you do this better? You see, there's a compassionate way to do this. How can I support you? You see, the more encouraging and compassionate and understanding the father is, the better place emotionally the son will be to do his best. Now take yourself. Put yourself in the same scenario. Do you treat yourself in the way that the harsh critic would treat his son when he fails? Or do you treat yourself in the way that the compassionate father would treat his son? When he walks in with a failing grade. I think for most of us, we'd say, no, we're pretty critical of ourselves. But in all research over the past 15 years, self-compassion is linked to a better well-being, 
strongly related to less depression, less anxiety, less stress, less perfectionism. Equally, it strongly, strongly relates to more positive states like happiness, life satisfaction, greater motivation, taking greater self-responsibility, making healthier life choices. It's also linked to having more sense of connectedness with others, better interpersonal relationships. It, it creates healthier people. Self-compassion involves acting the same way towards yourself when you're having a difficult time, you fail, or you notice something you don't like about yourself. Instead of just ignoring your pain with a stiff upper lip mentality, you stop to tell yourself, this is really difficult right now. How can I comfort and care for myself in this moment? Instead of mercilessly judging and criticizing yourself for various inadequacies and shortcomings, shortcoming, self-compassion means you are kind and understanding when confronted with personal feelings or personal failings. After all, whoever said you were supposed to be perfect? You may try to change in ways that allow you to be more healthy and happy, but this is done because you care about yourself, not because you're worthless or unacceptable as you are. You may enter into a place where you're like, I need to do this and do this because I think that's actually healthier for me. Not because you're like, I can never do this. I I'm, I'm terrible. There, there's a, it's just a mindset shift of being compassionate to yourself rather than being a critic. Perhaps most importantly, having compassion for yourself means that you honor and you accept your humanness. Things will not always go the way you want them to. You'll encounter frustrations. Losses will occur. You'll make mistakes. Bump up against your limitations. You'll fall short of your ideals. This is the human condition, a reality shared by all of us. The more you open your heart to this reality, instead of constantly fighting against it, the more you'll be able to feel compassion for yourself and all your fellow humans and experience of life. Put it this way, being gracious towards you will teach you grace towards others. Even if you disappoint one. Even if you disappoint you, even if someone disappoints you, you learn to show grace to yourself so that you may show grace to others. When asked what the greatest commandment was, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We read this, we skim over this, we say, yeah, 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 love, love your neighbor as yourself. How do we love our neighbor the best way we can? I think this says to learn to love yourself. How do we show compassion to our neighbor the best way we can? We learn to show ourselves compassion. What does it look like to show yourself grace? I'm not, I'm not even asking for, men. these people in my life, they're not compassionate. They don't show me grace. I'm not asking about that. I'm asking how do you show yourself grace? Because everybody in your life doesn't dictate how you feel about yourself. 
If you give that up to other people, then you lose yourself. But when you decide, how am I going to care for myself? How am I going to love myself? How am I going to show myself grace, my self-compassion? When I mess up, I can acknowledge that I'm human and say, man, I didn't get it right this time. It's going to be all right. What do I need to do to care for myself? What do I need to do to maybe do this differently? How can I be the best version of myself? And I think that's learning to love and showing yourself compassion. My hope is that through a series that, like I said, maybe isn't your typical sermon series. I, I had somebody recently that was like, oh, it's just self-help that you're teaching. Well, kind of, because that's kind of what God does. He says, here, this is who you are now. Now be you. And at times, we forget who we are. So we have to do a little bit of self-care and a little bit of self-compassion to bring us back to an understanding of who we are in Christ. When you forget that, you don't live from a place of, of completeness. In fact, you live in a place of fear, is what Jesus says. But when I know I'm made complete in Christ, when I know that I have no fear because of what God has done and who God loves, then I can now learn to love myself I can now learn to show myself grace and kindness and compassion. And then I can then share those with others. My hope for today is that you'll do a self-assessment. You'll ask yourself, have I been kind to me? Is the language I use towards myself compassionate? When I mess up, am I kind to me? Would I speak to a close friend that is suffering in the same way that I speak to myself? If the answer is no, then I want to invite you to show yourself some grace. Realize we all struggle with this idea. We struggle with the idea that we can show ourselves grace and compassion. Maybe tell yourself, this is going to be all right. I know this is hard. You can get through this. You're human. You're loved. You're accepted. You belong. You're going to be okay. How can you support yourself in the areas that you're struggling? How can you love yourself and show yourself compassion this week? How can you release this idea of perfection and that you must be perfect in order to appease other people or appease even the self-concept that you have of yourself? How can you release your need for that and be released into freedom? I think it takes showing yourself some compassion and some grace. Learning to acknowledge these things. It takes self-kindness. It takes the understanding of common hum humanity. It takes mindfulness, being present and where we're at and understanding that we need grace too. So how can you support yourself this week? How can you love yourself better? But even more, how can you show yourself some grace? And ask you to go do that. Show yourself compassion.
Go love yourself well. Because the best way we're going to learn to love others is to learn ourselves, or is to love ourselves. So Arsenal, I'm going to end like this, and I sped through this. It's 1210. That's pretty good. It's tough. Sometimes I can see you and you, you can't see other people. But I think at times, the, for me, I get to see the shared humanity. I get to see the emotions that are happening throughout this kind of community. Multiple people, all in moments of like, yeah, I, I maybe haven't been so kind to myself. For me, it's just a reminder that we're human. And I think sometimes for us, we need to acknowledge and maybe look around and say, yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm going to pray real quick. Father God, I thank you. God, I thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you created us to be loved. That you created us to be in relationship, in union with you. God, I pray today that we would learn to receive your love and learn to also share that love with ourselves. That we would be a community that is really, really good at taking care of ourselves. Not in a selfish way, but in a very focused way. We know that we can love ourselves so that we can be the healthiest version of us in order to love others well. And God, I pray that we would be compassionate and show ourselves grace. Then in the moments where life falls apart, the moments where we fail, or we don't live up to our own self-expectations, that we could step back and show ourselves the same compassion that we would show others that are going through similar circumstances, that are suffering in the ways that we are. Would we not be our own worst enemies? Or would we be our kindest friends? We would learn to be compassionate and kind and gracious to ourselves so that we might be kind and compassionate and gracious to others. Lord, help us to take care of ourselves this week. Help us to learn to love and to be kind to ourselves. For those that are struggling with the idea of being kind, I pray that you would remove the lies that you would place your love and kindness in our minds, that we would meditate on that to know who we are, whose we are, and what we can do when we love and are kind to ourselves. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Love you, Arsenal. Go love yourself well this week. We'll see you next week. 
Thank you for listening. Our hope is that you feel loved and encouraged. If you have questions or need prayer, please email hello at thearsenal.church. And don't forget to download the Arsenal Church app.